0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Oracle Network. Well, hello there, friends. Welcome back. I'm your host, Melanie Peterson. And for today's case, I'm releasing a Patreon episode that I did last year on All about Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo, who was a serial killer and cult leader in Mexico who went by the nickname The Godfather of Matamoros and The Witch Doctor. While living in Miami, Adolfo's mother would eventually marry a man who was involved in drug trafficking, as well as he had a pretty big interest in the occult, and this interest was passed on to Adolfo, so when he moved to Mexico in 1983... He began working as a tarot card reader while meeting and convincing people to be his. He wanted people to follow him, to be with him. And within a couple of years, he was the leader of a full-blown cult based in Matamoros, near the U.S.-Mexico border, and would also be heavily involved in the drug trade. By 1987, the cult was suspected of murdering people for human sacrifices, but it wouldn't be until after the murder of 21 year old mark kilroy that authorities would stumble across the cult by accident but it would eventually lead to constanzo and several of his followers being trapped in an apartment with police closing in constanzo would end up ordering one of his followers to kill him so he wouldn't have to go to prison buckle up my friends this one is going to be a bumpy ride this is mask of sanity Before Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo would meet his demise on May 6, 1989, he came from humble beginnings in Miami, Florida. He was born on November 1, 1962, to his mother Delia Aurora Gonzalez Del Valle when she was just 15 years old. Her husband soon died and she decided to move with Adolfo to San Juan, Puerto Rico, eventually remarrying. While in Puerto Rico, Adolfo was baptized as a Roman Catholic and as he grew older, he served as an altar boy. His mother, on the other hand, also had a growing interest in Palo Mayombe, which is, quote, an African religion focusing on magic, end quote, and something that she would share with Adolfo throughout his childhood. In 1972, Adolfo and his parents moved back to Miami, but his stepfather passed away the following year from cancer. He had left his wife and stepson some money, which did help them for a time, but Delia knew the money would not last forever, so she remarried not long after her husband's death. This new stepfather would be the one who had the most influence on Adolfo and his beliefs because he was, quote, involved in the local drug trade and the occult, end quote. Adolfo also realized around this time that he was bisexual and began sneaking into gay bars around Miami. The family struggled, and Adolfo would be introduced to petty crime fairly early on in his life. Both he and Delia were arrested several times for theft and vandalism. Around 1976, it's reported that Adolfo, quote, began displaying psychic powers, predicting future events with amazing accuracy, end quote. During his teenage years, He also began working with a Haitian Palomayombe priest who trained him in the skills that he would eventually need as a drug dealer and con artist in order to be successful. Basically, a career in profiting from evil. Every mother's dream, right? When he was 18, his mother, quote, believed that he had psychic abilities for supposedly predicting the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan, end quote. But not everyone was wowed by his apparent abilities. Neighbors often complained about animal corpses being left on their doorsteps after they would have arguments with the family. Um, There would be other issues like that. There was also the arrests and the drug issues. Despite all of this though, Adolfo still graduated high school, although it was at the bottom of his class, but he wasn't, too into going to institutions to learn, he was more into learning his smarts on the streets. So after he graduated high school, he did go to junior college for one semester, but he dropped out and began to experiment more with the occult and with crime. When he was 19, he was arrested two different times for shoplifting, including stealing a chainsaw. What on earth do you need to steal a chainsaw for, Adolfo? I have no idea. So, by the time he said bye-bye to his formal education, Adolfo had a goal. He already had the skills he needed to basically begin scamming others. When Adolfo was 21, he began dipping his toes into modeling and went to Mexico City for a job offer in 1983. His mother also came with him, but she eventually moved back to Miami with Adolfo later that same year. However, during his short visit to Mexico City, Adolfo worked as a tarot card reader and also started recruiting, quote, his first Mexican disciples, Martin Quintana Rodriguez, homosexual psychic Jorge Montes, and Omar Orea Ochoa, who had been obsessed with the occult from the age of 15. In short order, Constanzo seduced both Quintana and Orea, claiming one is his man, and the other as his woman." End quote. Around this same time, he made a pledge to Karim Pembe, which was the Palo Mayombe's version of Satan, or is their version of Satan. After only spending a short time in Miami, Adolfo left, moved back to Mexico City. So he, his mother moved back to Miami. He followed after and then decided Miami wasn't really the place for him. So in 1984, He moved back to Mexico City permanently and began living with Quintana and Orea. His reputation gained him a lot of new followers. He was using his supposed magical skills to recruit people, gain new contacts, including celebrities and politicians. According to the Los Angeles Times, quote, drug cartels also sought him out for mystical protection during smuggling runs and turf wars, end quote. In 1985, Constanzo, quote, and three disciples raided a Mexico City graveyard for human bones to start his own bloody cauldron, end quote. His recruitments also knew no limits. By this time, he had at least four federales in his cult, including Florentino Ventura Gutierrez, who was, at the time, the head of Mexico's Interpol branch. Talk about having friends in high places, but this wasn't enough for Adolfo. Using his new friend Gutierrez, he made a connection with the Calzada family, who were known far and wide for their standing in the drug trade. By 1987, Adolfo, now referred to as El Padrino, was using his magic to predict futures for the Calzada family and basically began raking in the dough. At 25 years old, Adolfo was able to purchase an $80,000 Mercedes-Benz and pay for a $60,000 condominium in cash. He was viewed, quote, as a minor god in his own right, their living conduit to the spirit world, end quote. Things were clearly going well for Adolfo, and he believed that a lot of the Calzada family's success was solely due to him. He performed costly occult ceremonies for them and many others, so in April 1987, he, quote, demanded full partnership with the Calzada family and was curtly refused, end quote. I mean, honestly, why would they actually bring him on? He's basically a court jester who gets lucky with a few predictions and he thinks he deserves pretty much a full cut of the profits. he It sounds like he was already making a pretty substantial salary, basically, by supposedly predicting stuff for this family, but that just wasn't enough for him. And this refusal deeply angered Adolfo Constanzo. So on April 30th, he, quote, tortured, mutilated, and murdered Guillermo Calzada Sanchez and six other members of the family. The body parts that were not extracted from the Zumpango River were used as a sacrifice for Constanzo's blood culturing, end quote. Now this cauldron, I've mentioned it twice now, it's officially called, and I'm probably going to butcher this, an inganga, and is a tradition used by those who practice Pelu Mayambe. Because of the rituals and things like that, there's literally a cauldron that parts of bodies go in, bones, blood... Dead animals, it's pretty disgusting, but that's what they use as I guess a source of power. Because of the rituals that Constanzo gained a reputation for performing, as well as the mysticism that surrounded his practice, he soon quote became powerful enough to lure a cross-section of Mexican society with his clique of disciples, including a physician a real estate speculator, fashion models, and several transvestite nightclub performers. In the week after all the murders, seven corpses were removed from the river and each showed marks of sadistic torture, fingers, toes, and ears removed, hearts and sex organs excised, part of the spine ripped from one body, two others missing their brains." End quote. On July 30th, 1987, 25-year-old Constanzo ran into 22-year-old Sarah Maria Aldrete Villarreal. Like, literally almost ran into her. He actually cut her off in traffic to get her attention. Some sort of sick meet-cute, but he knew of her, and he knew that her boyfriend at the time was Gilberto Sosa, who he had heard was connected to the Hernandez family who was a drug dealing competitor of the Calzadas. However, this plan backfired a bit because with Constanzo spending time with Sarah, eventually it got back to Gilberto that Sarah was involved with someone else. He received an anonymous call that told him Sarah was basically cheating on him. So he ended their relationship. And after that happened, Sarah began to pursue Constanzo, both romantically and within his growing cult, and eventually was given the nickname La Madrina, which is basically Godmother or the Head Witch. Sarah was college educated, a straight A student, and a cheerleader for her college's soccer team, so definitely someone that seemed like she had a bright future ahead of her, and not likely the kind of person who would be so easily swayed by Constanzo. But she was. She was, quote, fascinated by the occult and new people in the Mexican drug trade through Serafin Hernandez Garcia and his uncle, Elio Hernandez Rivera, end quote. Further demonstrating his supposed psychic skills, Constanzo, quote, predicted that Hernandez clan leader Elio would come to her for advice, end quote. The Hernandez family was run by Saul Hernandez-Rivera, Elio's older brother, but Saul was assassinated in 1987. Elio ended up taking over as the leader of the family, but struggled a bit with getting everybody on board and getting the business back on track. So sure enough, in November, 1987, Sarah was approached by Elio stating that he wanted to meet Constanzo. So she introduced the men. During the same time, Constanto's cult was continuing to grow and the human sacrifices were not slowing down. In fact, they were becoming more and more sadistic, to the point where he decided to move the group to Rancho Santa Elena, approximately 20 miles from Matamoros. They had more privacy there, there was a lot of open space, and they could get away with a lot more, and they definitely did. On May 28, 1988, he, quote, shot and killed drug dealers named Hector de la Fuente and Moises Castillo, end quote. Just two months later, on July 16th, he, quote, tortured, dismembered, and killed Raul Paz Esquivel, a transvestite and former lover of one of his cult members, end quote. Esquivel's remains were then dumped on a street corner as an ominous yet anonymous warning. Constanzo and his cult were out of control, basically. He used every reason he could find to murder people in the name of sacrifice for the Palomayombe religion. If someone broke one of the cult's laws, like Jorge Valente, who was caught using drugs when the cult forbade it, Constanzo would kill them and use the murder as a, quote, lesson in obedience, end quote. He was using his cult as a justification for killing people that he felt had wronged him or disobeyed him basically he is a narcissist to the umpteenth degree when one of his cult members ovidio hernandez and his two-year-old son were kidnapped on august 10 1988 he returned the favor and quote kidnapped and sacrificed a stranger at his rancho santa elena while chanting prayers for his cult members release end quote supposedly that same night that he murdered this person, Ovidio and his son were released. Many of the people killed on his ranch were actually the opposition. They were rival drug dealers. They were anyone who threatened his success financially or his power. On February 14, 1989, 27-year-old Constanzo ordered the torture and murder of Ezequiel Rodriguez Luna, Ruben Vela Garza, and Ernesto Ribas Diaz, who were all rival drug dealers. Less than 10 days later, Constanzo and his followers murdered yet another unidentified person who was meant to be a sacrifice by shooting them. But this person fought back in an effort to survive, but Constanzo killed him because he was struggling so much before they were able to complete the sacrificial rituals. So two days after this on February 25th, Constanzo, who was really starting to show signs of losing control, A bloodlust, he ordered Elio Hernandez, who was basically his execution priest, to bring him a male sacrifice to make up for the botched sacrifice two days earlier. Elio was so caught up in the whole act of doing good by Constanzo, pleasing him, that, quote, it was only after lopping off his hooded victim's head with a machete that he realized he had killed one of his own nephews, end quote. And except for that one, it really sounds like he's just plucking people off the street, at times killing indiscriminately for these human sacrifices because he really believed that they were going to protect his business. He was either sacrificing people or he was killing people that disobeyed him, but he was doing it... Through torturing them, ritual sacrifices. It's just, the whole thing is just stomach churning. On March 12, 1989, Constanzo kidnapped another stranger and sacrificed him because he thought this person's death would help protect his 800 kilos of marijuana that were in his possession and earmarked for a drug deal that was going to happen in the near future. But He was actually dissatisfied with how this person died, because apparently this person didn't scream enough for Constanzo. In Constanzo's mind, the only way to negate this was to sacrifice someone else. So he, quote, insisted that his cult members bring him someone that would scream, end quote. The only other requirement that he had for this next victim was that he wanted it to be a white male because he believed, quote, this offering would grant even greater supernatural powers to himself and his followers, end quote. Two days later, Mark Kilroy, a 21-year-old American tourist and pre-med student who would later be revealed to have strong political and family connections, was kidnapped off the street in Matamoros during his spring break. Mark was from Santa Fe, Texas, and was the typical all-American kind of guy. Tall, athletic, handsome, blonde hair... He and his friends were spending their spring break on South Padre Island, but would travel to Mexico to party at night. Constanzo, quote, sought a good slash superior brain for one of his ritual spells, end quote, and Kilroy seemed like the perfect choice. He would end up being sacrificed by Constanzo, and his disappearance initiated the beginning of the end for Constanzo and his cult. Because of his family's connections and prominence, One of his uncles was actually a special agent with U.S. Customs. They raised quite a fury over their son's missing status, which forced the local police in Matamoros to look into it and investigate. Constanzo wasn't aware that he would soon be under the police's eye and chose to sacrifice Sarah's ex-boyfriend, Gilberto Sosa, as one last attempt to basically secure his 800 kilo drug deal on march 28th 1989 but police were closing in although at the time they were unaware of constanzo's cult status they just knew that there was a major drug deal going down and they were aware of this because on april 9th one of his cult members seraphin hernandez who believed that Constanzo had basically provided him with an invisibility cloak so that he couldn't be seen by authorities, blew past a police roadblock near Brownsville, Texas and was surprised when police began to pursue him and they chased him all the way back to Matamoros. Hernandez, quote, was arrogant, inviting police to shoot him since the bullets would merely bounce off, end quote, which was another false belief that Constanzo said he could give to people. He said that he could make them invisible so that they wouldn't get caught. He said he could make them impervious to bullets so they could be fired on and the bullets would just bounce off like some kind of freaking superhero, but it's not true. They could see Hernandez. They didn't shoot him, but they did arrest him. They also shortly after picked up Sergio Martinez, Elio Hernandez, and David Martinez during a search at the ranch and interrogated them all four of the men quickly confessed to not only the drug deal that was going down, but also the inner workings of the ranch and Constanzo's cult, quote, revealing their tales of black magic, torture, and human sacrifice with a perverse kind of pride, end quote. Police were also aware of the pending drug deal now, the 800 kilos that Constanzo kept killing people to protect, and on April 11, 1989, Rancho Santa Elena, quote, was taken over by law enforcement officials after the botched drug deal and 15 victims were unearthed at Constanzo's ranch. Constanzo fled to avoid arrest, end quote. With the drug deal now gone awry, police, quite frankly, they had heard about the cult from the four men they had arrested, but it's kind of mind-boggling. It's not something that you want to believe is happening, but... They discovered that the cult was, in fact, murdering people as human sacrifices. So with the raid on the ranch, they arrested several cult members and police, quote, quickly discovered that they were responsible for Kilroy's murder, whose body had been dismembered and burned, end quote. According to officials, Kilroy had attempted to escape just a few hours after his kidnapping, which infuriated Constanzo, who then took a machete and chopped Kilroy on the back of the neck and killed him. While they were also searching the property, police found Constanzo's nganga, quote, brimming with blood, spiders, scorpions, a dead black cat, a turtle shell, bones, deer antlers, and a human brain, end quote. Now, when they discovered the remains of Mark Gilroy, his brain and his spinal column had been removed from his body for more rituals. So that brain that they found in the cauldron could very well have been his. I'm just speculating, but it's possible. They also found the rest of his body dismembered and concluded that his and other remains were dismembered and burned just to make it easier to bury them and get rid of the evidence. While Constanza was on the run, he consulted his tarot cards and saw betrayal in them. So he concluded that someone close to him had informed the police where he was, but they wouldn't actually catch up to him for more than two weeks. On April 22nd, Constanza was still on the run, but he was watching the news. He saw that his ranch had been burned down and exercised, like demons Exercise, not exercise and going for a run. Police, fueled by the pressure from Mark Gilroy's family, were continuing to pursue Constanzo and his accomplices, and soon arrested Jorge Montes, who spilled all the frijoles about Constanzo, his cult, the sacrifices, the drug activity, everything. Montes made sure to tell police that everything was done at Constanzo's bidding, that He was the one in charge, and therefore the responsibility for everything should fall to him. More and more cult members would be arrested over the next couple weeks, and on May 6th, the horrifying saga would be brought to a swift end when police discovered Constanzo's whereabouts in a run-down Mexico City apartment where he was hiding with a few of his followers, including Martin Quintana Rodriguez, who is one of his lovers, Alvaro de Leon, who was known as El Duby, and Sarah Aldrete. Much like how the police discovered the murders on the ranch, finding Constanzo holed up in an apartment was mostly by chance as they had been, quote, called to the apartment because of an unrelated dispute taking place there, end quote. So talk about your seriously serious bad luck, but thank goodness, because who knows how long Constanzo would have continued with his ritualistic murders if he and his cult hadn't been discovered. And honestly, if Constanzo would have just stayed quiet and not made his presence known, he might have escaped because they weren't at the apartment building for him. They had no idea he was there, but when he looked out the window and saw a police car on the street, he immediately assumed that they were there for him. So he began firing on the officers with machine gun. The police returned fire. They realized who they had surrounded. So, quote, Constanzo ordered that his cult member, El Duby, shoot and kill him. After hesitation, El Duby complied and killed Constanzo with a machine gun, end quote. By the time police reached Constanzo, he was already dead. That's... Wouldn't there have been an easier... I mean, I don't have any sympathy for him, but a machine gun seems like a pretty brutal way to ask someone to kill you. Like, you see it coming, and it's a machine gun, so it's it's gonna fire rapidly. It just... I, it's just a, it's a weird request, but maybe that's the only way that they had. Maybe machine guns were the only thing they had. I don't know. But shortly after his death, Sarah was also arrested and, quote, sentenced to a total of 68 years in prison for her involvement in the cult and the murders, end quote. So the... two of the followers were arrested, El Duby and Sarah. Constanzo was murdered, and he also requested that uh, Martin go with him. He didn't want to be without him, so... Martin and Constanzo were killed that day. And after his death, what he really had built up, the cult, the ritual murders, the reality of everything, actually became public. People actually realized how awful this man was. He relied heavily on manipulating the beliefs of vulnerable people and performing rituals at exorbitant prices. His journal showed that he had, quote, 31 regular customers, some paying up to $4,500 for a single ceremony. Adolfo established a menu for sacrificial beasts, with roosters going for $6 a head, goats for $30, boa constrictors at $450, adult zebras for $1,100, and African lion cubs listed at $3,100 each. True to the teachings of his Florida mentor, Constanzo went out of his way to charm wealthy drug dealers, helping them secure shipments and meetings on the basis of his predictions. For a price, he offered magic that would make dealers and their hitmen invisible to police, bulletproof against their enemies. It was all nonsense, of course, but smugglers drawn from Mexican peasant stock with a background in brujería were strongly inclined to believe." End quote. And it wasn't just the poor or those involved in illegal activities that he preyed on. Constanzo also had high-ranking law enforcement officials in his group. At one point, reports state, like I said, he had four members of the federal judicial police in his cult, including Salvador Garcia, who was actually a commander responsible for narcotics investigation. So, No doubt Garcia was selected by Constanzo because of that position, because it would benefit Constanzo's drug deals by giving him more protection. And this just shows how much corruption there was in the law enforcement community there, as well as how dedicated all of Constanzo's followers were. His willingness to torture and murder not only strangers, but people close to him, both frightened and impressed his drug dealing clients. He was the ultimate scam artist. He even posed, quote, as a DEA agent to rip off a Coke dealer in Guadalajara, selling the stash through his police contacts for a cool $100,000, end quote. Further investigations revealed that while the actual number of murders that took place under Constanzo's influence is unknown, there were at least 23 documented ritual murders, but the chances that the real numbers are much higher is pretty probable. There was a large number of, quote, unsolved mutilation slings around Mexico City and elsewhere, suggesting that Constanzo's known victims may only represent the tip of a malignant iceberg, end quote. Dubbed by the Mexican media as Los Narcosantanicos or the Narcosatanists, the members of this cult led by Constanzo and Sarah, believed that human sacrifices gave them and their associates supernatural powers and basically gave them permission to do whatever they wanted. Okay friends, that was the case of Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo, a scam artist turned cult leader and serial killer. Who sacrificed at least 23 people in ritual human sacrifices but of course his real number is thought to be much higher i can't even imagine what his real number would be and you know i suppose a killer like this shouldn't surprise me but man i'm always blown away by what people will do in the name of religion as if their beliefs somehow absolve them of right and wrong decisions killing someone in the name of any higher authority, in my mind, goes completely against the whole point of religion. But religion isn't perfect. People aren't perfect. The world is definitely not perfect. So with that, unfortunately, it seems like there will always be someone who manipulates and twists their beliefs to justify evil actions. Alrighty, I've included all my resources in the episode notes, but I wanted to take a minute because I also included a link to the palomayombe.org website in case anyone's is interested. And yes, it is a .org website, which I can remember in school, remembering being told by my teachers that .org just meant that it was a little more um, cre- credible, I guess is the word I'm looking for. And looking at this website on the surface, it seems harmless enough, but you scroll through, you read the language, and I can see how it'd be possible for someone who's perhaps feeling a little lost in their life to read the perks of becoming a member and feel like this could be the answer to all their problems. The website uses phrases like nine reasons why you should get initiated and here's one of the the pros. This is, they have a list of pros and cons. This one is a pro. It says, quote, you are able to remove, curse, and punish your enemies when they have mistreated you, end quote. So that's a pro. On the other hand, one of the cons is, quote, you need to be ready to sacrifice time, money, and energy, end quote. And when I read that one, It it made me laugh. I mean, I love how they just slipped money in there right right in the middle. Like, sure, you know, time, I got that. Energy, hopefully, most days. But money, that's a tangible one right there. That's definitive. You only have so much money or so little. And I'm betting that they're going to want to get their hands on as much of that as they can. And honestly, I feel like that is a constant in a lot of religions, not just the ones like this that seem like they're a little off. This one sounds a little like Scientology in that regard, especially with the money. I used to work for a theater promotion company here in New York, and there's a huge Scientology building. I I think it's a, could possibly be a church, but It's like a headquarters also, and it's right in the middle of Times Square, and I remember spotting it for the first time and being completely shocked that something like this was in the middle of Times Square, and nobody seemed to really notice it because it blends in. I mean, there are signs everywhere, there's billboards, but there's also this huge sign in front of the building that says Scientology, and I couldn't believe that I had never noticed it but I would be out working, handing out flyers, and I would see their members out, talking to people, handing out their flyers that offered a free personality test. And depending on what the results of the test were, they claimed to have some sort of plan of action for you. And I'm sure that that plan of action definitely involves some sort of monetary fee. And there were a few times I even saw them lead a couple people back towards their building. Clearly preying on these people's vulnerability, preying on the fact that they want to make a positive change in their life. But the more I watched them, the more angry I got. Because they were clearly taking advantage of people. They were bringing people in under the guise of providing a personality test when really this religion, if you can even call it that, calling it a religion is a stretch. They want your money and they want you and I fully believe that they brainwash people. So I would kind of position myself in between the Scientologist and the on- oncoming crowd and I would tell people to avoid them don't talk to them don't engage with them now whether or not these people who were probably mostly tourists whether or not they took a girl dressed up like a dancer from the Chicago musical seriously I don't know but I couldn't just stand by and let these people be scammed or worse so I, I had to say something I don't know if I made any kind of difference And I'm definitely not touting myself as some kind of savior because that that is not my deal i just i don't like seeing people taken advantage of and i feel like scientology and also potentially this palo mayombe religion do that but it also said on the website that the people who are critical of the religion are non-initiates who just frankly don't understand it or are scared of the black magic and the power that comes with it and in that case you're right i don't understand it because i don't think it's real and i have a hard time believing in something that just sounds so batshit crazy so that's my my two cents and i will get off my soapbox now so let's continue on (laughs) all right um Same old song and dance. Don't forget to follow mask of sanity on Twitter at mask of Mm. at mask sanity pod and Instagram at mask of sanity podcast. Follow the Oracle network. Check out our website. Check out the shows. Check out my merch link. If you're curious, that's also in my episode notes. You can get t-shirts, mugs. I got some stickers. I have a tank top. I have a face mask. So I am that person who's rocking my own gear and supporting my own show. But you know, what the hell? Thank you all so much for listening and for supporting me on this crazy little journey. I really, really can't thank you enough. Every time I check my downloads, they keep going up and up. And that's just because I have so many amazing listeners and supporters like you. I hope you're all doing well, staying safe. I'm hoping everything will get back to feeling normal at some point, but until then, wash your hands. We'll always wash your hands. That's just gross. If you don't wash your hands after you touch something gross or after you use the bathroom, like what's the matter with you? Were you raised in a barn? What's going on here? Wash your hands, wear a mask, look out for one another. And please stick around after the episode for the promo trailer for the amazing true crime podcast, Murderific. The host, Bernadette, is incredible, and she's actually one of the first shows I can remember binging nonstop not long after I started my show, and that's just because her episodes are so good, and there's a ton of them. She's been doing this show since 2018. She covers anything and everything, so please check her out, subscribe, leave her a five-star rating and review, and thank you all so much for listening. Until next time, stay safe, friends. Mask of Sanity is partnered with the Oracle Network. My name is Bernadette, the host of Murderific True Crime Podcast. Murder plus horrific equals murderific. I cover some cases from the state of Maine in the United States and all over the world. Mass murders, domestic abuse, unsolved cases, serial killers, and mostly lesser known subjects. We don't shy away from the details, but we do that with all respect. This is an entertainment. These are real people's lives, and I'm here to tell their story. Join me for my Season 5 reboot, and together we will be executing podcasts one crime at a time.